Morning, everyone. Lovely to see you here. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if any of you think otherwise, God will, will reveal that to you, also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained." We jump back into Paul's letter to the Philippians, carrying on from where we left off last week. Last week, we left Paul with these words, that I may know him, verse 10, and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Our grow group had a meaningful time really delving into into that heart cry of Paul this week, that I may know him. And as we shared our emotional response to these five words, that I may know him, you could feel the emotion and the passion rising in the room as we started to internalize and own this call, that I may know him. Paul longed to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, but he knew it had a price tag. And the cost to knowing knowing Christ was suffering and even the real possibility of his death. But Paul knew that knowing Jesus meant that after his death, he would live. You know, I think that the people who most resemble Jesus are not those who remain comfortable and safe within the walls of their church, but those who are moving out, who are counting the cost, who are laying it all on the line, embracing suffering and even death as part of the normal Christian life. Perhaps you and I won't have to physically die in the name of Jesus, but we do need to die to self, which means we do need to wage war against our own agendas in the cause of God's kingdom. As we suffer for Christ, we tap into his resurrection power. When Rachel Saint and, and Elizabeth Elliot went back to the Alka Indians, in Indians who had murdered Elizabeth's husband Jim and Rachel's brother Nate in cold blood, they were proving the power of the resurrection. As we die for Jesus, we release his life here on earth. Elizabeth Elliot and Rachel Saint's lives were a megaphone for this cry of five words, that I may know him. So verse 11 tells us that Paul's life is all about this resurrection from the dead, hope beyond the grave. Or as he says in verse 8, gaining Christ. Paul is all about the power of the resurrection as a reality in his life. He's slamming the door on a life that's focused on on dead ritual and he's flinging open another door that's all about dying to self and living for Jesus. Paul recognizes that this life is too short to waste obsessing over the minutiae. He wants to spend it on something big. And what fuels him is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Verse 10, so that I may know him, or that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection. 
from the dead. This is Paul's grand hope, his focus, his goal. But he's not there yet. Verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. Paul acknowledges straight away that the hard slog is not yet over. He's still a work in progress. He's still on earth. He's still got trials and struggles ahead. He has regrets and failures in his past. So Paul would be the first to say, I've not yet attained the resurrection from the dead. After all, he's in prison for goodness sake. He knows his, the, the reality of his situation. But let's pause for a moment and jump down to verse 16 of chapter 3. Where it says this. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So verse 12 says, not that I've already obtained this, but verse 16 says, hold true to what we've already attained. So if we're truly in Jesus today, there's something that we've not yet attained, and there's something that we have obtained. In other words, we're caught in attention while we're here on earth. We're caught in tension. I remember as a kid, Watching Eddie the Eagle Edwards on the TV, I remember his glasses, I remember his face, I remember his chin. I remember that he looked like the most unlikely Winter Olympic athlete that I'd ever seen. And I remember him sliding down that ski jump, flying through the air and somehow managing to land it. And the cameras loved him, the people loved him, the reporters loved him. He was a man who had faced down opposition from those at the very top of the world of athletics. He was a man who'd fought with every ounce of his being to represent his country, and he'd succeeded. Let's be honest. He was never going to be a world record holder. He was never going to be an athlete that wowed the judges with his talent or his skill. He was never going to rank alongside people like Usain Bolt or Silken Lauman or Michael Phelps, but he was there sharing the hill with the top players in the world, doing his absolute best. He pressed on. He knew he wasn't perfect, but he pressed on to make it his own. Verse 11 of chapter 3. Sorry, verse 12. But... I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. This is the confidence that we have as chasers of Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about being a follower of Jesus. I'm using this word chaser of Jesus. This is what we have as chasers of Jesus, the confidence we have. We press on to know him more. And as we press on to know the power of his resurrection, we press on to know him more, sorry. And we press on to know the power of his resurrection because he first made us his own. The fact that Jesus has made us his own is the guarantor's signature. We belong to him. He claimed us and we in turn claim him. He has placed his mark of ownership on us first and we spend the rest of our lives finding out what this means. Romans chapter 8 verse 32 says this, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So the measure of God's future generosity to us is what took place already on the cross. Since God did not stop with the life of his very son, how can we doubt his love and generosity now? And the same logic is here in Philippians chapter 3 verse 12. Christ has made me his own. Therefore, 
I press in to make this resurrection power my own. It's a bit like when I was a teenage boy, and Wendy doesn't know that I'm actually telling you this story, but um, it's, it's about a girl, but it's not Wendy. And when I was a teenage boy, if I knew through the grapevine of friends that Sarah fancied me, then that gave me confidence to show Sarah that I kind of fancied her too. And this knowledge of Sarah's fancying me increased the likelihood that I'd pluck up the courage to ask her to dance at the school dance. The rumor that Sarah made me her own encouraged me to make her my own. And I did. I danced with her. And it was one of the most awkward experiences of my life. But I did it. And here... In Philippians, we're not talking about teenage crushes. We're talking about the purpose and intent of Almighty God. He has made us his own by not sparing his own son. Therefore, because we know he will graciously give us all things, we can press in to make this resurrection life our own. But too many of us hold back. We're afraid of what that pressing in might look like. Or even worse than being afraid, we're content with our halfway committed Christian life. We're content with just enough. And to be halfway committed probably means that you might not be committed at all. Think about it. What does halfway pressing in even look like? You're not moving away from Jesus, but neither are you pressing in to make him your own. You're just there. You don't want to marry Jesus if we were to uh, use Uh, An example from this life. You don't want to marry Jesus. You just want to move in with him. You don't want to go through that rigmarole of signing on the dotted line or the exchange of vows. You don't want commitment. You just don't want to be lonely. But Paul resists this temptation to not press in. And instead he chooses to press in. He's going all in. He's saying in effect, look, I'm not perfect. And I know I'm not yet experiencing the fullness of this intimacy. I'll know with Jesus when my body is resurrected. But that's not going to stop me from trying to get as close as I can to him while I'm here on earth. I'm not going to let what I've not yet obtained stop me from trying to make it my own. I'm going to press in to make it my own. I'm going to cry that I may know him. Chapter 3, verse 10 I want to be found in him, chapter 3, verse 9. And then Paul shows us what this pressing in looks like. He breaks it down for us in verse 13. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul is single-minded. He says he does one thing. He becomes a man of one thing. May we long to be people of one thing. May we, as the songwriter says, seek one pure and holy passion, seek one magnificent obsession, seek one glorious ambition for our lives to know and follow hard after Jesus. Paul was a man of one thing. Paul was a man who could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And here Paul gives us the secret of making this resurrection life his own. The secret is he does one thing. There's one ingredient. I press on toward the goal. And how does he do this one thing? By doing two things. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. And when Paul uses the word press on, he's using the word word pursue in the same sense that he used to pursue or persecute the church. He's literally using the same word. You see in Acts chapter 9 verse 5, Jesus says to Paul, or Saul as he was then, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. 
And then here in Philippians chapter 3, verse 2, Paul says, I press in, I persecute. It's the same word, I persecute to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. And so the radical message of Jesus, this is what we see here. The radical message of Jesus can transform someone from being a hate-filled pursuer of Jesus into a single-minded, love-filled chaser of Jesus. And if Jesus can do it for Paul, he can and he longs to do it for you. And when Jesus grabs hold of you, like he did with Paul, everything changes. Your, your pursuit of whatever it is changes into a single-minded pursuit of Jesus. You want him. You long for him. If you have him and nothing else, you are content. So let me encourage you. Be single-minded. Press on toward the goal. And you know when you're pressing on, when you can forget about what is behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. Listen, it's so important to forget what is behind. Paul could have spent his entire life mourning over the way he'd wasted so many years in direct opposition to the God he now loves. But what good would that have served? It would have just sidelined him from doing what God was calling him to do. Of course, repentance is essential. Acknowledging your sin is absolutely vital. True faith in Jesus cannot happen without it. But once that repentance has happened, move on. How many of us sat here full of regret because of our failures? Maybe you're one such person. You regret how you've raised your children. You regret that family member you estranged. You regret having taken too many drugs at college. You regret lying on your tax form last year. You regret having misrepresented someone for your own gain. You regret having had that abortion. You regret your failed marriage. You regret that moment of sexual experimentation that keeps plaguing you. You you regret that financial risk you took that emptied your bank account. You regret your habitual weakness. You regret that, that night last week when you gorged on pornography. You regret your unforgiving spirit. You regret having said no to that one decision that could have turned your whole life around. You regret but it's too late. So let me ask you this. Have you repented yet? Have you turned from that sin? Have you in all honesty come before God and poured out your heart to him? Have you asked him for his forgiveness to cleanse you from this stain that you can feel even now heavy on your soul? Have you done this? Because as long as you hold back from doing this, you can never press on toward the goal. Paul's clear about this. Part of this one thing of pressing on is forgetting what is past. And the only way to forget what is past is to come to God in repentance and faith, confessing your sin and that you are a sinner. And at that moment when you do this from Jesus, a pardon you will receive. This is the moment. This is the moment when you can forget what is past. And as long as you're, or as long as you're living in unconfessed sin, that sin is remembered. It plagues you. It haunts you. It leaves you feeling hollow and empty inside. Psalm 32 verse 3 actually describes the physical effects of unconfessed sin. It says this, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For night and day your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Have you felt this? Maybe you're feeling it now, the heavy hand of God. Well, thank God that that does not have to be the end. Psalm 32 carries on with verse 5. 
I acknowledged my sins to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Confessing your sin and trusting God for your forgiveness means that you can finally forget what lies behind. It means you're free to strain forward to what lies ahead. And what's beautiful about this is that when you experience the freedom of repentance and forgiveness, the only reason that you would look back now is to thank Jesus for making you his own. Instead of viewing the past with regret, you can now view the past with gratitude because instead of your sin debt, you see Jesus who cleared your debt. And it's this gratitude that serves as a, as a kind of a rocket boost propelling you onwards as you strain forward. Imagine Eddie the Eagle Edwards. If he spent his entire Olympic career obsessing over his last fall or how his last jump was not long enough, do you think he'd be remembered like he is today? No. Eddie Edwards learned the secret of forgetting what is past and straining to what is ahead. In the movie about his life, his reluctant trainer, played by Hugh Jackman, teaches him the secret of successful ski jumping. And part of it is actually leaning into the jump, straining ahead. You cannot be a successful ski jumper if you spend the whole jump obsessing how you left the ramp, looking behind. No, you need to focus ahead and be all about the landing now. That's the only thing that exists is the landing. And it's the same with pursuing Jesus. Paul transformed from pursuing Jesus to to discredit him into pursuing Jesus to gain him. Paul pressed in to know Christ and he pressed on. He strained forward. And verse 14 tells us why. It says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. One day the sinful world is going to be done with. It's going to be burnt up and all that's going to be left on the new heaven and the new earth are those who have pursued Jesus. This is the upward call of God in Christ. Maybe you've heard, maybe you've heard of the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And maybe you've heard of the great commission, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them. Well, both of these, the great commandment and the great commission point towards what I'm calling the great come home, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the prize. This is the gold medal. This is what it's all about. This is why Paul can say, I count all these other things as loss, as I explained last week. But as yet, Paul hasn't obtained this, the prize of his upward call. As yet, Paul is not perfect. But Paul's life is all about, all about, focused on the prize of the upward call. He's pressing on to make it his own. Jesus called Paul to himself on the road. And Jesus has been calling Paul to himself ever since. And now, Paul is hearing this call from Jesus, sat on the right-hand side of the Father, and Jesus is saying, come home. Keep going. You're on your way home. Through Paul, Jesus is telling us that we were not created for this world alone. We are travelers. We're living in a camper. But the very real temptation is to forget we're living in temporary accommodation and start treating our trailer as a permanent home. So the words pressing on means that it's not easy. You've got to press on. It's not, it's not easy. On Thursday, I went for a run, five kilometers. 
I had my headphones on and I was feeling good at being up and about at 6.30 before most other people. I felt I had the edge. And I run my usual run to where Church Street meets McCordick and then back. And the way out was great. But on the way back, I started to feel a strong desire to stop, to, to stand, to walk. I really, 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 really wanted to stop. But I didn't. Instead, I slowed down. I slowed it to a jog. But the main thing is I kept on going. Being in this race, it doesn't mean that we're running flat out all the time. It doesn't mean that we're always at maximum speed. Sometimes we're running, sometimes we're jogging, sometimes we're walking, sometimes we're just barely getting by on our hands and knees. But the main thing is, are you moving forward? Are you pressing on? Are you forgetting what is past and straining forward to what lies ahead? Are you determined to make it your own? Because Jesus has made you his own. Are you taking step after step after step? Are you resisting that voice that's telling you to stop, to lie down, to quit, to give up? I hope you are. Because the voice of Jesus that's calling you onwards and upwards is stronger. It's more compelling. And it's not just the voice of Jesus calling you on. It's also God working in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Remember chapter 2, verse 12. So as you look back, you can see Jesus who has made you his own. As you look where you are now, you recognize that it's God working within you to will and to work as you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And as you look ahead, you see and can see Jesus calling you on the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 15 says this, let those of us who are mature think this way and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Let those of us who are mature think this way. In Greek, this word mature can also be translated perfect. And so what Paul is saying is that those of us who are perfect, verse verse 15, those of us who, who are perfect realize that we're not yet perfect, 3 verse 12. Those of us who are mature realize that we've not yet obtained this upward call yet. There's still work to do. Those of us who are grown up in the faith realize that there is no shortcut, no quick fix, no silver bullet, no easy solution. Realizing this shows our commitment to what Nietzsche, and there's not often that I'll quote Nietzsche in a sermon, but realizing this shows our commitment to what Nietzsche called a long obedience in the same direction. This is maturity. We need, to, we, we, need to be, we need to be committed to a sort of hopeful realism. The realist in us says, I'm not yet perfect, but the hopist in us says, but I'm not going to use this as an excuse to allow sin and despair to set in. Instead, I'm going to focus on Christ. I'm going to strain ahead, and in straining ahead, I'm going to naturally forget what is behind. The mature Christian does not have a a cocky or a smug attitude. The mature Christian is marked by the deep knowledge that they have not yet arrived. And where they currently find themselves is purely the result of God's grace. If you think you've arrived, you have a lot of growing up to do. And then Paul finishes off this astounding passage that has all been about pressing on and straining forward and forgetting what is past with this wonderful reminder to remember. 
Only let us hold true, verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let us keep in step with what we have already attained. What is this referring to? Well, it's the passion for Jesus that we have. It's the growth in Jesus that we've already experienced. It's our salvation experience. It's the transformation in our church body that has already taken place. Let's hold true to it. Let's not abandon it or divert from it. Let's not allow ourselves to be sidetracked. Let's hold true to it because we're not done yet. This week in our grow groups, we're, we're going to dive deep into this passage together. Here's a sample of some of the questions we're going to wrestle through in our grow groups. What does the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus mean? Number two, as an individual, is your tendency to look ahead or to look back? Share a little why you think this is. Number three, how does God want us to deal with regret in our own life? Question four. Do you think most Christians today put as much determination into their Christian race as they do into their jobs or their leisure activities? Explain. So, where do you find yourself today? Are you full of a smug satisfaction that somehow you've made it? Maybe you're a Christian who's full of regret from past sins, or or perhaps you're Not yet a Christian, but you're seriously considering trusting Jesus as the answer to your sin problem and pledging your allegiance to him. Maybe you're full of joy and energy and are sprinting your way through life, or perhaps you're hobbling along with a limp. Maybe you're crawling forward on scratched palms and knees, hardly able to keep your head up. Maybe you don't know that Jesus has made you his own. You don't have this assurance. Well, may I encourage you to do one thing. This week, one thing, press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This week, identify where you're tempted to give in and recommit yourself. May I encourage you to choose to be a person of one thing, to forget what is past, to repent of your sin, to leave it at the cross and trust Jesus that he's taking care of it and to strain ahead to what lies ahead. Because what lies ahead is Jesus and he's calling you home. Make it your own, because Jesus has made you his own. This is the radical message of Jesus. This is the joy that quits flip-flopping, or this is the life that quits flip-flopping and finds its joy in Jesus. This is the joy that presses on. And here's the beautiful thing. As we continue to pursue Jesus, we start to catch up. We find our stride Our muscles get stronger and healthier. We start to resemble him more and more. We see his footsteps and place our feet in his. And as we strain to catch up with our savior, master, and friend, it's not long before we've forgotten what happened yesterday. All that matters is chasing after Jesus. We're starting to gain ground.